My name's Rachel Silver. This podcast is all about step families. I hope it helps anyone in a step family, as well as giving some insight to people about the issues and complexities many step families face. Today, I'm joined by Ellen Stritch. Ellen is a solicitor specialising in family law. She's got a decade of experience in advising clients on divorce, separation, and also on child custody. Hello, Ellen. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me on the show. So your job, you deal with separation, divorce, custody and your work. So you must encounter a lot of step families. Absolutely. And I would say increasingly so over the decade that I've been practising. So by way of an example, some of the couples separating may already have children, not only from the current relationship, but the previous relationship they were in. In addition to that, Sometimes the divorce processes can last quite a long time, actually. It can last a number of years, even. And so during that process, inevitably, people move on and meet new partners. So again, we kind of encounter the kind of step-family aspect in that. And I would say another example of where I come into contact with blended families is when people are looking to remarry or move in with someone and they've already got a, a family from a previous relationship and they're perhaps considering entering into a prenuptial agreement to kind of protect assets that they've brought in from that marriage or a cohabitation agreement again to kind of do something similar so that's not uncommon either. So it's a full cycle really not just going through the divorce but then remarriage and prenups etc. Exactly yeah and I mean sometimes we end up having similar clients on and off for various different issues over you know many many years for that reason. So when people come to you for advice, I can imagine custody is one of the main things that they're probably worried about when separating from their partner. Absolutely. So they'll come and perhaps they will already have decided the marriage has broken down. But actually, the thing they're most worried about is either the impact that it's going to have on their children or where their children are going to live. And do they talk to you about that? I mean, I know that you're a lawyer, but... Are you also seen as a bit of a therapist to them? Yeah, completely. I mean, obviously, we're not trained counsellors or the vast majority of, of divorce lawyers certainly wouldn't be, you know, and what we would be doing is giving you legal advice in terms of what it is that you are to expect if you were to divorce, um, in terms of the financial outcome and in terms of the outcome for the children. But absolutely, it goes without saying, I mean, sometimes we may have a first meeting with a client where the entire time is spent with them in tears if everything is very new, before we can kind of actually get down to business, if you like, and move on with our discussions from the kind of legal perspective. That said, of course, you know, in terms of the actual emotional aspect of it, it goes without saying we want to make sure that our clients, so that we can focus on the legal bit, because that's what we're being paid to do, is that they're getting emotional support, whether it's from friends, family, and also things like counselling or family therapy where it's appropriate. So we will refer clients on to those kind of services if necessary. So you're kind of offering also a more holistic service, not just legal advice. Oh, but... oh, definitely. And I think we'd be doing our clients a complete disservice if we just said that's not our area. You know, don't talk to us about your emotions. I mean, this is the most emotional time that somebody could possibly go through. And we have to kind of look out for our clients in that regard and make sure that they are getting their emotional support. I mean, we are there to listen to them about these things. Of course we are. But as I say, you know, you're not necessarily going to want to spend, you know, hundreds of pounds an hour on a lawyer when actually you'd be better served 
with the emotional aspect of it being dealt with elsewhere. And, and what I would say as well, of course, you know, you want your clients to be strong or as strong as they can be so that they're better prepared going through the process when it comes to negotiating over finances, negotiating over where the children are going to live or discussing where the children are going to live. Um, they need to be stronger and so their emotional needs do need to be kind of met. What happens if someone has met someone before they've started divorce proceedings or they're going through divorce proceedings? Does that affect the custody they'll get of the child or children? What I would say, first of all, if someone meets a new partner, I'd say it goes without saying you need to handle the news in that regard very, very carefully to both the children who may not actually be ready for for you to move on. I mean, what I find sometimes is that you know, people's relationships have been breaking down for many, many years. Um, so they've moved on, but it's new to their children for whom, for some children, it comes as no surprise. For others, you know, the parents have hidden their relationship woes very well. So to not only announce the separation, but to announce the fact that they have got somebody new is perhaps a double whammy. So I think it needs to be handled very, very sensitively. And of course, that a lot of, you know, how you deal with things will depend on the age and the circumstances of your separation, the age of the children. Um, but in terms of the impact of a new partner, well, first of all, I would say, you know, if your divorce either hasn't started the actual technical aspect of a divorce, then there is a risk if you are in a relationship with someone that your ex-partner may use it as an example of adultery in terms of their application for divorce. What I would say is if you you know, had a, re- a relationship and that's the reason for the divorce or your, or your partner's just using it as an example, even if it's not the reason, that, save in very, very extreme examples, won't have any impact on the outcome for either the financial discussions or the discussions over where the children will live. Dating somebody is just fine, but where it might make a difference, well, twofold really. First of all, when you're looking at the impact on the children, you know, should you end up either proceeding to court and the court interviews the children to find out where they want to live? Obviously, it goes without saying, you know, uh, if children absolutely despise a new partner, then it may be that their wishes and feelings are that they don't want to live with the other person. I mean, the court only takes that kind of interview as guidance because the court's well aware in those kind of circumstances that children are very protective of perhaps another parent who they feel uh, they don't want to be disloyal to their other parent. But in addition to that, when children are a certain age, a court can't force, you know, teenagers to live with, with one parent and over another. They often won't even try. In terms of outcome on financial matters, dating, you know, somebody else is fine. But what I would say is that the divorce process can take a number of, of years. So inevitably, some people do move on. And they may, during that time, form an intention to cohabit so as live with someone or remarry someone and if you do form that intention this is kind of the legal concept we say form an intention to then you would have to disclose that as part of the financial discussions because you would be pooling your resources with that new person so even though it might not make an 
a difference to the financial outcome it could do so it needs to be disclosed because if you're moving into somebody else's house or even if you're just sharing rent or a mortgage with someone that's not necessarily going to be ignored and it needs to be one of the factors that take it is taken into account when you're looking at the finances and is that the same if you are divorced and it's all gone through and then let's say you're paying your ex maintenance and then they start cohabiting with someone they could go then and say, well, actually, the maintenance should be altered because you're now in a different situation to when we got divorced. Absolutely. I mean, maintenance is variable up or down, and that will depend on the circumstances. So of the both the paying party and the receiving party. So it goes without saying, if maintenance is being paid and somebody loses their job, they might not be able to afford, afford to keep paying it. The flip side, of course, is if someone's circumstances change, if they are receiving spousal support and they remarry, that will automatically come to an end. But if they are just going to move in with somebody, then that would be a very reasonable ground for reviewing it. So do new partners often interfere or intervene with divorce proceedings, do you find? They can do. I mean, it goes without saying when somebody is going through a divorce, it is all consuming. And their new partner, you know, is likely to be their go to person to provide their emotional support. I think the difficulty sometimes, as I say, because it's all consuming, is that that can end up being you know, the divorce can end up being their only topic of conversation. And I think probably that's where we would be advising to make sure that, you know, clients are getting their emotional needs met, potentially through something like counselling or therapy where, where necessary. But in addition to that, what I sometimes find is, and this is where I say, you know, pick your lawyer very well and make sure that it's someone you trust because you are instructing that person to give you legal advice and to tell you what in their mind is the the best outcome from a from a legal perspective and in turn what they think a court might order should you end up going to court. And that may well be at odds with what this new partner thinks and in terms of what they think is fair. So I have had it on occasion where I have been at court and people, you know, want the support of their ex-partner in terms of, you know, what outcome they should negotiate and they're on the phone to them. And we as legal advisors are saying, no, this is a good outcome, this is a sensible one. And it may be the new partner is saying, no, it's not one I consider is fair and actually that puts potentially the client between a rock and a hard place because they want to please their new client but equally their lawyers are saying no this is this is a good course and this is what we advise you i think the key to remember there is that you know if matters do proceed to court the court will always prioritize the first family in this circumstances. So the fact that you've met someone new, the fact that you've perhaps are intending to have children, or the fact that you are going to have stepchildren in due course, the court won't ignore those things, but they're certainly not going to prioritise them over the needs of your first family. I can imagine when you are going through a divorce, though, it's so emotive. And the fact that your partner may have met someone else, or they may be having a baby with someone else, or they may be taking on their new partner's children as well, really adds a lot of emotion, anger, upset to the proceedings at the core. Absolutely, especially if both people who are separating aren't in the same place. It can do, it really can inflame matters. We are very 
careful as lawyers to try and not inflame matters. Um, you know, we would therefore kind of really advise that the kind of the introduction of a new partner is handled very sensitively, both in terms of the disclosure of it, so announcing it to the children, the other and the ex, but also in terms of dealing with it in the discussions as well. So do most divorces that you sort of encounter, would you say what percentage are acrimonious or sort of sorted without going through court? I mean, are there sort of good stories where people literally just come and say, we're we're dividing things, this is clean cut, rather than the the long court cases that you often hear about? Absolutely. And most solicitors' caseload will be a kind of a, a complete mix from at the one end, the most kind of toxic, acrimonious separations where there may be many years of battles over whether it's the children or financial matters to the other extreme where people will come to you and say, you know, my ex-husband or wife-to-be come to an agreement and we just want you to kind of formalise it. And, you know, sometimes people are, are very friendly. Perhaps they both accept their relationships come to an end. Sometimes they've even both moved on by the time they come to you. In other circumstances, I've had situations where people have reconciled during the process as well it's been far from acrimonious so yeah and do most people agree over child custody and division of child care or is that something that is normally really argued out it completely depends on the couple that I see who are separating again we have a mix of cases we have people where they've come to us and they've got a clear idea of of what it is that's going to happen and helpfully if they live close to each other it may be the case that they've both got flexible working arrangements and a 50-50 arrangement for the children is something that they've agreed and isn't an issue. Equally there are plenty of other occasions where things are not agreed so from where the children should live and whether that's how many days with one parent or how many days with another or even sometimes what we have are called leave to remove cases and that means one parent perhaps wants to move whether it's to another part of the country or even to another country perhaps to where they came from and if that can't be agreed then that may end up going to court. I mean what I would say is that when we deal with children matters so like I said often people will come to us they'll be dealing with a divorce and they will want us to assist them with the discussions on finances with regard to the children the court would expect only to get involved if parents can't agree so in the first instance they trust that parents will try and be able to come to the best arrangements for their children that are in their children's best interests if they can't agree that over where the children should live or how much time they should spend with one parent then potentially you end up needing to get into negotiations either with solicitors or potentially you may end up needing to attend something like mediation and we would always always try and persuade families to attend something that's called an alternative dispute resolution so an alternative to the court instead of going to court and perhaps mediate an agreement that builds in more flexibility the court is often seen as a a very blunt instrument so you end up with a court order with no flexibility and perhaps is not 
you know, in order which neither party is happy with. Whereas in an ideal world, if they can keep the communication going and reach an agreement in mediation, that also provides a benefit because you have kept that communication going. And let's be honest, you know, especially if you have young children, you have many, many years of communication ahead of you and things like weddings, graduations to attend together. So if you can kind of collaboratively come together and, and reach an agreement that you're happy with, then that's a much, much better solution. Yeah, because I was going to say that step family life is a lot about blending everyone together with ex-partners and new families and division of childcare and who's going to take this one to football practice and I need to swap this Tuesday with this Wednesday, etc. And I can imagine having such an acrimonious divorce then makes that communication so much harder afterwards. So I'm sure lots of people come to you very upset, very angry, and that's the first stage. But then the step family, the second part, is kind of like you have to get over that hurdle and get over whatever's happened because you are going to have to spend the next few years or forever dealing with that person who, if if you didn't have children with, would never be in your life again. Absolutely. And I'd say there's two things on that. First of all, I think it's really very important for that reason to start as you mean to go on. I think, first of all, you know, you need to pick your lawyer very, very carefully. There's an organisation called Resolution, which is an organisation of professionals committed to dealing with separation in a constructive way. And that means the solicitors that you instruct there will try to avoid inflammatory language. I know sometimes clients almost want to use you as a post box to say, look, this is the kind of aggressive thing that I want to say back to my ex's solicitor. I want to fight fire with fire. We will try and tone down those things because, you know, it's really important not to try and point score. It's really important to pick your battles and kind of think, what is it we're trying to achieve here rather than just inflame matters? And actually, one of the key issues there is to keep the discussions on the finances and the discussions on the children separate in that communication. So picking your lawyer as well, but also picking, as I said earlier, the method by which you negotiate an agreement very, very carefully. So whether that's, you know, using something like mediation over court But also, as you say, I mean, the reality is step-parents do become um, a huge part of these children's life in due course. And I used to find it quite interesting. Occasionally, I would, on more more than one occasion, I would have clients try and incorporate into an agreement on children an agreement for how to introduce new partners so it might be right well if you've been with somebody for six months you're allowed to introduce the partner but only over dinner and then you know after a year then you can perhaps think about having a weekend with them and then after 18 months you could go on holiday with them and the reality is the court's just not going to deal with things like that they're going to trust a parent's judgment you know and most parents will be really sensitive to their children's needs on that and not rush you know, whether it's moving in with someone or rush to introduce your children to your partner's new children, if there are any. And also to just accept that people parent differently. And I think that's one of the things that I would always try and urge clients to remember as well. You know, for instance, there's a legal concept called parental responsibility, which conventionally a mother and father will have in respect of their children. 
It's a legal concept which basically means that you can make all the big decisions for your children. So if they're going to change their surname, if they need medical care, where they should go to school, those kind of things. So whilst a step-parent in due course won't have those kind of that parental responsibility, save in exceptional circumstances, they are still going to be an individual who is making playdates for your children, who is looking after them while they're unwell, is packing their lunchbox. And actually, they play a huge role in those children's lives. And I think the fact that they may do things differently to one parent is, again, not something that that is going to be kind of governed with and dealt by a court because the court will trust that parents are going to deal with that the best way possible and everyone's doing the best they can, even if it's in a different way to each other as well. Yeah, I think that biological parents can obviously make those big decisions like guiding a child on their GCSE choices or what university they go to or medical help they have. But the day-to-day childcare manners, that kind of thing it's very hard to keep that uniformity between two different households. And part of probably being divorced is accepting they may do things differently in their house and have their rules and we've got our rules and that's okay. And if you can work and co-parent with your ex, fantastic. And um, you can sit down with them, that's great. But a lot of getting divorced is learning to let go and accept you can't have that same control as if you were still with your partner. Absolutely. And I think control is the big issue there. I think, as I said, you know, in in examples where people will raise issues about behaviour of their ex in relation to the children, and it's often not serious allegations, it is just simply a matter of your ex-partner doing things differently and I think even in a relationship most parents deal with things very differently separate those kind of individuals into two separate families and they're going to do things even more differently still because they're not even necessarily going to kind of try and cooperate in the way they were before that's not to say they're not doing things that they think are in the children's best interest they absolutely are but they're doing it their way and I think sometimes even separating they're going to be wanting to do things even more differently still that said on the bigger things and the things that overlap you've got to work together I'm really interested in the fact that a lot of people will come to you very upset very angry wanting to get what they believe is right from their marriage And there could be a big fight, Um, it could get messy, but then the aftermath and the aftershock is the reality that you've got children with that person and you have to live with them and get on with them and co-parent with them. And it just seems like the whole process is such an emotional rollercoaster of highs and lows for quite a long time. Absolutely. I mean, it's basically one of the most traumatic things that people can go through um, and they have to navigate their way through it because, you know, especially the fear when people come into a first meeting of not knowing what the end point is, you know, what what are they going to get financially, but also where are the children going to live? How much time are they going to spend with each parent? What's our new family going to look like? It's absolutely terrifying for people, particularly if they're the ones who perhaps didn't want the relationship to break down in the in the 
first instance, it really is something that is scary for people. And I think that's why, in addition to, you know, getting legal help, it is absolutely crucial that you get emotional help through something like therapy or counselling so that you have the strength to deal with those things as you're going through them. But, you know, what I would say is that people do get through those things. Of course, that's not to say there aren't blips along the way. If you've got children, there may be issues that are ongoing. Things may change. People meet new partners. They may decide, having met a new partner, that they want to move to a different part of the country. You know, we see cases where... That happens, you know, in extreme circumstances, people wanting to move to a different country altogether because their new partner has a job abroad, for instance. And then if that can't be agreed, then it has to be dealt with through the court. But all those issues have to be dealt with and addressed as best possible. So even if someone decides to, let's say, move to America, if they've decided to go, does that mean the person staying automatically has more of a right to keep the child Or does it actually mean anyone could be up for having the child? I mean, it it completely depends on the case. But say, for instance, one person decides they want to move abroad. It's going to depend on where the child's living, how old the child is, what they want if they're old enough to have a view. And the circumstances for the move, really, because... Historically, mothers have been allowed to move abroad by the court if the husband or father rather didn't agree to it was because they had family that was back in their country of origin, if you like. So dad may not want that to happen, but it may be accepted that mum's entire support network is in another country. I mean, those are incredibly difficult cases for everybody to deal with. In other circumstances, whether it's because it's a job or whether somebody kind of simply just wants to move elsewhere, you know, sometimes those agreements can be mediated and it might be a discussion of, well, how's that going to work practically? Could the other person move as well? Or if they don't, you know, what's the reality, what their weekends look like? You know, I mean, there are some circumstances where one person works really long hours, so they were never going to be able to look after their children during the week. Perhaps then their ex-partner moving away isn't such a big issue if it can be facilitated that they get to spend lots and lots of time with their children at the weekend and, you know, during the holidays. So ideally you'd be able to come to an agreement, if not direct, through mediation, but otherwise the court would have to look at all the different circumstances in the round. Do you find that people are more unlikely to get married again after having gone through a divorce because they know either how much they've lost or how traumatic it was or simply that they never want to get divorced again? I really don't actually find that on the whole, actually. You know, and I have actually heard people during the process saying, I would never get married again. And I actually keep in touch with a lot of clients or ex-clients. And one thing I would say is that however traumatic the divorce was, one thing I really love doing is catching up with clients a couple of years later and seeing how transformed they are as people because, you know, they are going through this trauma and then to see them as a kind of different, new, happier person having come out of that is is great for me. But yes, absolutely, the amount of times I hear people saying, I'll never get married again, and then I hear, you know, two, three years later, you know, they're happily engaged, they've moved on, whether they're expecting new children. So I don't, on the whole, find that it puts people off, No. And how do you find 
your job in the sense that it must be so emotional day in, day out to be dealing with people's kind of sorrow and breakdown of their marriages. Like, how do you compartmentalise that and not let it affect your life? I think it's quite difficult at the start when you're new to family law to completely ignore the kind of emotional aspects of what it is you're dealing with day to day. But you would be doing your clients a disservice to get completely emotionally vested in what's going on. So you do need to kind of keep a cool head and look after what your clients' best interests are. And of course, it goes without saying, you know, you have meetings, you have cases where you come out and you just feel incredibly sad about what's going on. I mean, for me personally, Some of the cases I found hardest to deal with were ones where I would see and hear about how children were suffering as a result of them and the harm that was being done to the children as a result of an acrimonious breakup. It's only human for those kind of things to affect you, but you just have to kind of focus on what is in your client's interests, focus it on getting your client through it and focus on the legal aspect, making sure they're getting the emotional support And try not to get emotionally vested, actually, because one of the things I always try to say to clients when I'm writing letters on their behalf, first of all, I will say... I'm not acting as a post box. I know you might write a letter to me that you've sent at one o'clock in the morning and this is how you feel, but actually... I'm here to give legal advice. We need to pick our battles. Of course, we need to deny serious allegations if they've been made. But the key is, how do we navigate through this so that you and your ex-partner can continue communicating, can continue with your partner having a good relationship going forward for the sake of your children without getting into kind of aggressive correspondence where possible? And... In regards to prenups, I'm really interested in that. Do you find that a lot of people who have been divorced make their new partners sign them? No, it's still not an incredibly common thing to do. And again, because, you know, fortunately, in the same way, as I said, you know, a lot of people, even if they've had really difficult divorces, do go on to find love again and want to remarry. I think people go into new marriages hoping that that will be a marriage that lasts and without wanting to sit down and consider the terms of their separation, you know, before they're married. That said, a lot of people, having been through a divorce, are also realistic about things and perhaps if they are very wealthy or they've been particularly badly burnt first time round, people will kind of perhaps consider they're just being level-headed by saying, no, I want to get on, move on, have a wonderful marriage with this new person, but I also want to just make it clear from the outset that what we each brought into that our marriage is kept separately should we separate or divorce. And a lot of people use children from their previous relationship as a reason for doing that and wanting to say, you know, especially if they are the financially wealthier party going into a new marriage to say, you know, should this marriage end in 10 years time, I want to make sure that what I've got now is protected and ring fenced, if you like, for my children from that first marriage. Do you find that children come to you as they're worried about their parent remarrying and what that could mean for their inheritance? In terms of who's driving it, it can be the children from a relationship if they're older, perhaps, 
and, it, and I've certainly seen that. It can also be sometimes with younger couples, it can be the parents who are driving it. So, yeah, I have certainly seen kind of that it's external family influences that are kind of pushing the pushing the agenda on that sometimes. Yeah. Ellen, what would be your sort of top tips or advice for people getting divorced or considering getting divorced um, who are really fresh into it and there's children involved? Well, first of all, I would say it completely depends on the circumstances of separation, the age of the children and the timing of that separation. We always try and where possible to advise clients to tell their children together that they're separating and put on a united front, reassure the children that both parents still love them, it's okay to feel angry and frustrated and to let them know that you'll communicate with them and can answer any questions. What I would say on that though is to be cautious not to over-promise to your children on what it is um, that's going to happen. We have had instances where people promise their children that they will stay in the family home. They promise their children they'll stay in their private schools. When the reality is, when it's looked at, it just simply can't be afforded because even comfortable families, when you're separating into two, the financial circumstances can be stretched. So I think, you know, reassure those children, but don't overpromise. I think... It goes without saying you want to try and avoid getting your children involved in arguments, discussions, keep those private. You've got solicitors, you've got communication. Hopefully you might have therapy where you can deal with those things. But really do try not to, you know, use your children as pawns in the discussions and in the battles that perhaps may ensue. I think one of the things that I would really say is important is to keep the discussions regarding your divorce and your financial circumstances and separation separate from your discussions about the children and where they're going to live and what's going to happen with the arrangements for them. I'm afraid that I have seen on a number of occasions children having access to whether it's solicitor correspondence or statements written for court where there's lots of allegations made, you know, whether that's kind of accidental or on purpose. I think it's really important to protect your children as much as possible. And I have to say, I always have so much admiration for my clients in circumstances where however toxic their separation, however strong their feelings about their ex-partner when they accept how much their ex-partner still loves their children and how good a parent they are. So however awful it is between them that they don't want to impact on that relationship and or they don't even want to know or want their children to know exactly what's been going on, protect them from it sometimes. I have a huge amount of admiration that they don't want to kind of poison their children against their ex-partner because it's a very tempting thing I imagine for for clients sometimes going through a divorce when they know that they can influence you know their children in that regard. So your advice would be just try and hold your tongue and don't say anything in front of your children it may 
be easier at the time and make you feel better but the longer term damage is a lot worse absolutely i mean sometimes children obviously pick up on things you know whether it's because a parent is sad and that's what i would say you know you know make sure that you are having your emotional needs met you know whether it's through therapy you've whether you've got friends that support you so that you know you can best assist your children because they're going through the process as well you know so you're and you're you are going to be better at helping them go through the process if you are stronger yourself but absolutely I think you know gritting your teeth biting your tongue while you're going through these things as tempting as it is to bad mouth your ex it really isn't helpful during the process and you do want to protect your children as much as possible you know while while they're going through what is a hugely traumatic process for them as well often. Yeah, they didn't ask for their parents to get divorced. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, you want to make sure that they feel secure and loved and to know that they are going to have two homes where they are loved and where they can feel secure and that they will get to see lots, hopefully, of both their mum and their dad and that a lot of things, well, as little as possible, with, with, will change. Obviously, I've said that, um, you know, you may end up having to, for instance, sell the family home. But, of course, it goes without saying you can sell that to children. You know, is a how exciting is it? You're going to have, you know, a new bedroom. You can decorate your new bedroom rather than it being, an, you know, a kind of end of the world. You are losing the one bedroom you've only ever known, you know, you need to kind of be there to think, what's the best I can do for my child's emotional well-being? How can I support them through this? How can I help them kind of with this transition, basically? Ellen, thank you so much for coming on and all your information that you've given us about family law and separating and divorce and custody. It's been really interesting and insightful, and I'm sure it will help a lot of people. I do hope that this podcast raises awareness of step families and helps anyone in one or gives an insight into some of the issues and complexities that many step families face. If you've enjoyed listening, please do rate us as apparently it helps and also helps people to find us. Thank you so much for listening. 